Welcome to the San Diego County Bar Association's Meet and Confer, a podcast for the San Diego legal community. We're your hosts, Renee Stackhouse and Jim Crosby. Today, our topic is the Earl B. Gillum Bar Association, one of San Diego's amazing diverse bar associations. And we have with us Yahira Aristi, who's the president of the foundation, Andrea St. Julian, the president of the association, and Dennis Dawson, who has been president of the association no less than four times in his legal career. So Dennis, how'd they, how'd they, how'd you do it four times? How'd they talk you into that? Well, the first time I was much younger, back in 1980, mm-hmm. and I was interested in the organization because we had a lot of work to do in San Diego. When I got to the county, which was in March of 1976, we only had 25 African-American attorneys in the county, and we were underrepresented in the courts. We were underrepresented in, uh, of course, the law firms, and we were severely underrepresented in the public agencies, and we took it upon ourselves as an organization to make those improvements. For those who are new to San Diego or who are uh, in law school and about to head out in the legal community, can someone talk to us about what is the Earl B. Gillen Bar Association and Foundation? What do you do? Yeah, well, I'm glad you said association and foundation because they are two different organizations. We used to be one, but under Dennis's uh, tenure as president, we separated into an association and into a foundation. Foundation remained a 501c3, and I'll let Yahira talk maybe a little bit first about what the foundation is and what they do. I also just want to add that what Dennis forgot to say that was the Irby Gilliam Bar was initially created back in 1976. But back in 1977, Dennis was part of the initial group that wrote a letter to California Governor Brown. And in that letter, which I brought a copy of because I think it's that important that members know, that was, this was March 28, 1977. We are now in 2019. And then Daniel Weber signed, and he said... We believe that justice can only be fairly impartially and properly administered when those who dispense justice reflect the communities they serve. Strongly, they said, we do not believe that the courts in the Fort Appellate District properly reflect the communities they serve. There are very, very few black and women judges in this district. Um, And I think that's important to remember because when we look at the diversity here in San Diego County, that continues to be a paramount of importance. Uh, I have the honor and the privilege to serve as president of the Arbery Gillian Bar Foundation. And I chose to do this because of our mission. And our mission is to serve African-American students and new lawyers. The students, we provide scholarships to help them with law school and their bar study. And with the new lawyers, is providing them resource mentorship opportunities. So we have three major events that we've um, had since, I think, 2017, 2016. So to back up a little, when Dennis was president back in 2012 is when the discussion really began as to engaging the political arm and advocacy of the association and that's when it back then that took about two years to work out and 2014 was separated so then the new 
C6 became the Earl B. Gilliam Bar Association. They have the membership arm. So then we, the C3, became the foundation, will remain the foundation arm, and we don't have a membership. We raise money for law students, and that is our goal. And in fact, we have a $100,000 goal to reach this year. So if you have not donated, please donate. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, turning to our events. So we have um, the first event that we do is our spring event. So sometimes we do have a women's retreat. um, And we have a judicial luncheon. But in the last few years, we've done the civil rights luncheon. And that began because of the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination. And we wanted to honor that, um, not the event itself, but why he he mattered. And we began that in 2018. And that was our first civil rights luncheon. And it was just magnificent. And it became a staple because then we brought it back this year. And this year we focused on school to prison pipeline. And we start, we had over 120 people attend. And in fact, we had people say, can you do it in the evening? We want it to be longer. So I'm excited to know that the next year's board for 2020 is planning the civil rights luncheon again. So it is really a great event. Our second event is a fun event, um, which usually is an annual day of the races at Del Mar. And um, it's grown. Um, If you look at our sponsorship packet that's on our website, you'll be able to see um, the difference of how fast it's growing. And, um, and we are excited. The gala is one of my favorite events. I've co-chaired it twice. We broke record numbers in money raising and, well, fundraising, better said, and attendance last year. The gala will be on November 2nd of this year at the Omni San Diego Hotel. Tickets are currently on sale. And another thing, which is why I really want you to come to the dinner and the gala is because of why we do it. Between 2016 and this last year, 2018, we've raised over $50,000 for law students and have awarded that amount of money. And we really want to award $100,000. So we need everyone's help. Come have a good time because it is the best party in town. So we have a lot of young listeners, and I'm, I, I'd be curious to have the panel talk about Justice Gilliam and why he's the namesake of or the organization and why he's so important to the San Diego legal community. Mm-hmm. When I got to San Diego in 1976, uh, Judge Gilliam was already on the municipal court bench. We had a bifurcated system at that time. Okay. Judge Gilliam was a first in almost everything uh, that an African-American attorney could do in the legal field in San Diego. He was appointed a deputy city attorney, the first uh, black deputy city attorney. And he was also the first black deputy district attorney in 1957. And then in 1975, he, no, I'm sorry, in 1963, he was appointed by then Governor Jerry Brown to be the first African-American judge on the municipal court. And in 1975, he was elevated to serve as the first African-American judge on the San Diego County Superior Court. And then later, of course, about six years later, I think it was around 1981, President Jimmy Carter had the wisdom to appoint him as the first 
United States District Court Judge in San Diego. I will add some additional information that I think will be important for our young listeners is that you don't achieve that without some strong community involvement. So just a few things to know about him that even as a judge he was serving, he was a law professor at Western State College of Law, an instructor in urban rural stories at University of California, and he was also an active board member. I mean, it's amazing. And it was community boards, San Diego Kind Corporation, Byrne Institute, San Diego State University Alumni Association, Salvation Army, YMCA, Urban League. I mean, he really was amazing and how quickly he elevated to the bench and because of that he was recognized by the national bar association with one of their most prestigious awards the wiley branton award and also the california association black lawyers judicial pioneer award back in 1998 and he was inducted into the hall of fame for the national bar association everything i've read about judge gillum was that he was gregarious. I saw that word quite a bit. Can you give us an inside look at to what a kind of human being he was, lawyer yes, and judge he was, aside? He, for his stature in the legal community, respected by not only African-American attorneys, but by Hispanic attorneys and by Caucasian attorneys, he had a breadth of humanity. And I use that word, breadth of humanity. That's something that uh, one of the federal judges described. I think it was uh, Judge Judith Keat had described him as having a breadth of humanity. As Yahira said, you know, he had a lot of community involvement, one of which was the Boys and Girls Club of San Diego. He was very actively involved in that. But on a personal level, having known him, I can say that he was really, for a man as important as he was, he was just a very down-to-earth person that you could just talk to as if you were at a picnic. Uh, sometimes he would see me walking downtown. I would always walk during lunch, and if I would see him, he said, hey, what's, what's shaking, Dawson? You know, that's what he would say. <laughs> and I would tell him, you know, how things were going at the AG's office because he would ask me. And he had a personal interest that he, that he took in you. Uh, he lived in the African-American community, not far from where I still live. Uh, sometimes I would run into him and I would say, hey, why don't you come on over? We're going to have some gumbo at the house. And he'd, he'd show up. I mean, this is a federal judge. And he would just be very, very down to earth, very talkative, as you said, gregarious. And he was um, very personable, very likable, a person that you could talk to not only about any questions that you had about the development of your legal career, how you were being treated by your employer, uh, what you needed to do to get ahead in San Diego, what his experiences were, and we all, we all looked up to him. He never stopped encouraging us. Uh, you've got people that are on the bench today, like someone that I respect greatly, Judge uh, John Houston. And I know that, that Judge Houston was personally mentored by Earl. When he was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and of course, a lot of his success is due to the mentoring that Judge Gillum gave him. Uh, judge Houston was appointed to uh, be a United States Magistrate Judge here in San Diego, and he was the first African American to serve in that position, and Earl had a lot to do with that. He encouraged all of us, wherever we were working, to do our best, and if we had any problems, he was very open talk to talk to us. 
I often think greatness is uh, best characterized by people who are unassuming and humble and gregarious, and he sounds like he, he felt right into those categories. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And if I may, I'd like to talk a little bit about the association. Yeah, you were next up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, we are now divided into the foundation, which is our charitable arm, and then we're the association. And the reason why we have that division now is because the association wanted to become more politically active. And before, we were simply a 501c3, so we were limited in the political activities that we could undertake. So the foundation remained the 501c3, and the association then became a 501c6. And since becoming a 501c6, we have become much more active in the community because, you know, I want to remind people that, that yes, um, we're committed to defending legal and human rights for all citizens. But we, of course, have a particular emphasis on eradicating the root causes of racism and also advancing the social, economic, and political interests of African Americans. And as a 501c3, we were a little bit constrained in how far we could go in doing that. Now that we're a 501c6, we have Uh, we have wholeheartedly uh, started uh, to engage in more political activities. We now endorse candidates, which is something that we could not do before. One thing that Earl B. Gilliam and I personally have become extremely uh, interested in and that we have begun to pursue vigorously is the uh, charter amendment that is currently pending before the city council to create a commission on police practices. Uh, I was the principal author of that document and I've been working, Earl B. Gilliam has been working very closely with Women Occupy San Diego to reimagine what community oversight of the police and police complaints is, is like. It's been a real challenge, it's been really great, we are going to have it on the ballot in November 2020. Uh-huh. We, ha- we do have a few more months to go before the city council puts the official stamp on that, but we are working very hard at that, and we believe that we're gonna be very successful on that. But it shows that we are looking at issues that go to the heart of our community, that go to the heart of justice. So that's, that's one of the things that we have begun doing. Can I uh, sure. jump in and ask you about the endorsements? If someone's listening who is running for uh, some kind of office, what offices do you endorse for? And how do they go about contacting the association to get that endorsement? And what type of people do you endorse? Excellent questions, excellent questions. All they have to do is go on ebgba.org and there is information there on how to apply for an endorsement. You can, apply, you can request an endorsement for any race that you are in. We don't limit the races. We don't decide we'll endorse in this race or not. If you're in a race and you would like our endorsement, you can contact us and ask for it. We have a very strong mission statement and we are all about justice and specifically justice for marginalized communities such as the african-american community and specifically the african-american community so when we are looking at an endorsement we are looking at at least two or three things we're looking for a history 
of working to advance justice for marginalized communities. And then we're also looking to see if the platform and the agenda that the candidate has for that particular office is one that advances the goals of justice generally, and also particularly the goals relating to eradicating racism, advancing the cause of those who have been marginalized, advancing the cause of African Americans. So those are, oh, those are really the two big issues. So as a board, we've decided that when we put our stamp on a candidate as having endorsed them, people will know this is a person that is going to advance mission statement and uh, that Earl B. Gilliam um, is supporting and, and uh, working toward. I'm curious, was, was the move to restructure the organization so that the association could be more political and endorse was that a controversial decision? The membership voted unanimously, 25 nothing, to have an Earl B. Gilliam political arm, 501c6, and to have the foundation as the fundraising and as the, really, the arm for support for the legal community here in San Diego and the law students. And I think when it was explained that from the very beginning, back in 1976, we were not even called the Earl B. Gillum Bar Association then. We were known as the Association of Black Attorneys of San Diego County. And our mission was clearly stated. It was to advance the economic, educational, social, legal, legislative, and political interests of black people. So that has always been our mission, and we've always been political. And so the answer is that we had to explain the history to some of the younger members who perhaps didn't know the history. And by the way, to know the history is very important. And Robert Fikes, who's a uh, uh, librarian at San Diego State University, wrote a comprehensive history on the black attorney in San Diego County. And he brought it up all the way from the uh, late 1800s to, uh, to, to uh, the current time. Mm -hmm. And so I think the fact that we've always been political is important to remember, but now we are very, very political. If I could add, the Roberts um, comprehensive review can actually be found on the foundation website. If you go to our history, it's the third document. And it is amazing and it's wonderful and it actually documents all the firsts um, that we've had here in the San Diego community. I read it today and I was so impressed mm -hmm. with with the with the chronology that was laid out but also saying oh I know that person oh I know that person oh I know that yep. person it was incredible to see uh, the incredible firsts that we have mm -hmm. in our own legal community here in San Diego. This is Michelle Chavez, Director of Public Services at the San Diego County Bar Association. Attorneys, are you looking to increase business and build your referral base? Now is a great time to join the Lawyer Referral and Information Service. Did you know the LRIS program receives over 30,000 referrals and requests from the public each year? Our program is booming and we are always looking for more attorneys. The program is easy to join. Here are the four easy steps. Complete the panel application provide two letters of recommendation, provide your liability insurance, 
and submit the LRAS panel fee of $125 a year. If you are interested, please contact Elizabeth Sorensen at 619-321-4153 or email us at lras at sdcba.org. If I could say one thing really quick, there is no one that I trust more than Andrea St. Julian to run this organization right now. She basically understood every nook and cranny of the issues related to the Citizens Review uh, Commission and how important it was to revamp it, the conflicts of interest that the city attorney had in representing both the police department and the review board, the need for investigative power, the need for subpoena issuing authority, and there is no one that I trust more to follow it through to fruition than our current president. That's one of the most important things that we do when we advocate for protection of the uh, a community. Because as you know, it's no secret that we have problems with being uh, accosted by the police, with being uh, murdered by the police. And there are instances where we need to make sure that there's a fair and impartial review of this. That's only one of the things that's important for me personally as a past president and founder of this organization to see is continuing to be done. When I was president for the third term, we instituted a program that was called What to Do If You Get Stopped by the Police because our African-American youth were becoming uh, victimized by the agency that was sworn to serve and protect. And so as a result, we instituted these educational panels at Lincoln High School, at Morris High School, and at Hoover High School, and it was overflowing attendance, questions and answer periods, skits um, that we portrayed, you know, a live stop, what to say, what not to say, don't make any furtive movements, make sure that you respect the authority of the police. This is not the time to engage in a confrontation. And these were important programs that the community deeply appreciated our continuing involvement in. There was also the Neighborhood Law School, which is a staple of this organization. And in this case, we we're putting on these live presentations by distinguished members of the bar who have tremendous expertise in fields relating from probate and trust to criminal law to landlord-tenant to bankruptcy, what have you. And the community definitely appreciates our presence mm -hmm. at these presentations, making those uh, points of law to them and answering their questions. And I think the fact that we were in the forefront of the community and the community comes to us when there are issues on the ballot I don't know if Andrea is still getting these questions, but they asked me when I was president, who should we support for this particular position? And we are in a position of telling them, especially when a judge is up for election. And these are important, it's very important to me that the Earl B. Gilliam remain committed and involved on these issues affecting our relationship with the community. Who else could speak better for that community better than us? And, and I would like to just follow up, Dennis. Uh, yeah, the Neighborhood Law School is one of our crown jewels. Mm -hmm. We love that. And it's part of a series of things that we do to really engage with the community. Neighborhood Law School, it's a six-week course, if you will. Uh, we usually hold it in May through May, May and June. 
People get a certificate for attending afterwards. They love it. Absolutely love it. This year, one of our topics was gang documentation, and it was the most well-attended, I think, that we may have ever had. It was something that the community really wanted to know, really wanted to understand. We do other things, though, to engage with the, with the community. For example, approximately two years ago, we started a participatory defense group with a, a couple of other organizations here in San Diego. We are an official hub of the National, which is Debug in Silicon Valley. We, we meet every Tuesday at Pillars of the Community in, in, in Canto. I cannot tell you how loved participatory defense is, is by, the, by the community. We have people who come, they have no idea what to do. They are almost shell-shocked from having had a loved one arrested charged with all these crimes that they don't even understand how this could even be. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to move through the system. And we take them in. We tell them, you know, we'll, we'll work with you. You've got a home here. And so they come every Tuesday and we help them navigate this system. And I want to be clear, it's not a service model. It's an empowerment model. And that's one of the one of the things we do and work with the community on. And one of the things I think you know I'm most proud of as a member of the Earl B. Gillian Bar Association. It sounds like there is a a lot of activity out there through the foundation and the association for your members to be actively involved in the community and making active changes in both the legal and the non-legal community in San Diego. What what do you tell? law students and people knew the San Diego community about why they should join. Is it for these activities? Is there more to it? A lot more to it. Tell us. I, I tell people to join Earl B. Gilliam because you will be joining one of the most loving families that exists here in San Diego. And law students, forget about it. We love our law students so much. We take them under our wings. We are in contact with them. We, we love our students. We love our young attorneys. We are going to help you and support you in both your personal and professional lives. And that's why you want to join Earl B. Gilliam Bar Association. And when I say that, I'm not limiting myself to African-American students. We have members of all races in who are members of the Earl B. Gilliam Bar Association. And we love all of our members and we support all of our members. So that's that's very important. As long as you believe in our mission statement and want to advance our mission statement, we want you in the Earl B. Gilliam Bar Association. I spend a lot of time mentoring young students and young lawyers. And one of the things that interests me is barriers to entry into a successful practice as a lawyer, and there are many for young lawyers right now. I'm particularly interested from to hear from the panel about whether African-American law students and young lawyers still uh, are presented with unique barriers to the entry uh, into successful law practices, either as solos or in big firms. I can answer that. Um, you know, it's an interesting question because we, the foundation, we award scholarships to law students, so we are starting to track them. And lately, it's been just joyous. We've had a few of our students um, 
one went to Casey Gary. And we were like, yes. Um, and so when you hear them breaking into firms, local law firms, then we start seeing that the barrier is being removed. Um, so as of recently, um, those who are interested in going into private law are being successful in doing that. We also do have a number of our law students who want to go solo. We're not having a lot of students leave San Diego County that I know of because they can't find a job. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're, they've been here long enough working that I'm like, hey, it's time for you to serve on the board of. But the reality is, it's not something that I'm hearing a lot. And if you look at the, I'm a deputy public defender. Um, we look at the public agencies. We're seeing a continual increase in the number of African Americans. Um, that are serving in at least the DA's office and the public defender's office. And and I'll, I'll piggyback on something Yahira said. When I was, you know, fresh out of law school and looking for a job so many years ago, it was a totally different world. And we were more geared toward, okay, can you get into the biggest firms in the country? And, 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 and that was really the goal. It is so different now with students oh, yeah. getting out of school. They want to immediately start their own practices and they're doing it and becoming very successful at it right away. So it is a different mindset. To answer your question more specifically, I'm not seeing a lot of people who are coming up to me and saying, you know, I really want to get into a big law firm and I'm having difficulty doing that. I think to say that there are still challenges is uh, an understatement. Um, you can just look at, for example, my experiences with the uh, public agencies. I went and I worked for the Attorney General's office for 35 years. When I started, I was the second African-American attorney in the office. I think we had about 80 attorneys then. When I left 35 years later, we had about 200 attorneys, and there were only four African-American attorneys. Those numbers are not good. And you can look at the rest of the public agencies. And I mention public agencies because at the law student receptions and when I talk to them, I tell them, consider also getting your feet wet, getting some experience at a public agency. You know, uh, learn how to file a motion for summary judgment. Learn how to file a complaint in a a demur. Learn how to, you know, what do you need to pick a jury? Learn these things and then go into private practice is basically my suggestion. And you you can listen to it if you want. But I think the point is that here in San Diego, if you look at the other agencies, I mentioned the Attorney General's office. The U.S. Attorney's office has only a handful of black prosecutors. Uh, the uh, city attorney's office, number, the numbers are not good there. The district attorney has, I think, the, probably the best representation, but there's still a lot of room for improvement. And I think the problem is that how do you get your foot in the door? I was hired by Wiley Manuel, who came to my law school, Howard University in Washington. And at that time, he was the chief uh, deputy in charge of the civil division in in uh, in California, the Department of Justice. And he was committed to hiring several of us from Howard University. I don't think you have that kind of an outreach. We're, there's no reason why employers need to be limited to simply recruiting from the local law schools. 
So that's a perfect transition. I was just going to ask you, all, all of you, how do you see the legal community better supporting the African-American legal community so that we can start seeing greater change? Um, one, we have to continue doing what's right. The diversity fellowship program needs to continue. The training on implicit bias needs to continue. And people have to step out of the box and open their hearts and minds to opening the door. Bring someone else up with you. So if you get to a public agency and you become manager, then turn around and say, how diverse is my staff? And then start opening the door for those who are qualified, obviously, and make and increase your diversity. So I think that's really important. And the same with uh, our senior attorneys, our senior judges, and our leaders in this community. Not everyone uh, realizes that the challenges continue. Um, while I said, I don't know that students are facing as many challenges. What I meant by is the students are working hard, they're becoming law review editors, they're getting those good jobs. But some students are working hard and not, they're not breaking through. And part of that is because not everyone's still open. The other is, as it pertains to the Erbigillian Bar Foundation, it's support us. Our support, it comes from donations and sponsorships for our events. We give out our money. That's what we want to do. And when we give out money, our students can go to school without financial stress. They can pay for the bar exam. They have living expenses. Our sponsorship packets has so many quotes of our students and how the money helped. So directly helping us with donations is important. Attending our events. So law students meet you, and new lawyers meet you, and they develop those connections. I would say that the foundation um, takes a lot of commitment towards the association. We consider them, and we are sister organizations, so we actually allocate funds to support events that they're doing that comply with our mission. So it's really, you know, everyone being present and saying, hey, it's okay if we look like a rainbow when we get on top. Sometimes I think we focus, as we rightfully should, we really focus on law school, getting young lawyers you know, to pass the bar. But we all know the bottom line and success at a firm or in your career in general always boils down to mentorship. Oftentimes the attitude is taken, well, we hired you when we let you into the club. And then, then our, our, these young attorneys are forgotten. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, people often want to mentor someone who looks and thinks like them. That is the problem. People, partners have to decide that they want to, as, as Yahira said, step out of the box. You have got to find someone or several per someones to sincerely mentor young attorneys uh, and make sure they get on the trap to track to becoming an equity partner. Unless you have sincere mentorship, that person is never going to make it there. And that's where the breakdown is. I think that's right. I think it's interesting when we talk about the law firms because corporate America gets it. I mean, when you talk about Microsoft or you talk about yeah. Clorox or you talk about AT&T, they get the fact that it's important to include African Americans in very high-level positions within that corporate organization. And I think somehow 
the message has to be received, that same message has to be received by the law partners here in the firms. Uh, and you find this problem not only in San Diego, but all across America, where the law partners simply don't get the same kind of understanding that corporate CEOs and presidents uh, have about the importance of including a much broader array of uh, uh, people from all backgrounds in their, in their structure. And once that is realized, I think that that will be important. But as uh, Andrea said, mentorship is so important. And a willing mentor, someone who is broad-minded enough to think in terms of uh, what's not only good for the uh, image, but what is actually good for the innermost integrity of the law firm. And eventually it should result in a broader client base because you've got this person who you've now recruited and who you've sincerely mentored who has contacts that you, you would never have had had you not hired him, had you not mentored him and totally accepted him. I'll mentor her. I'll hire her. Or, or her. <laughs> or her. It has been such a remarkable joy uh, and pleasure to speak with the three of you today. Before we end, can you please each tell us a little bit about yourself, your practice, and how someone can get in touch with you if they wanted to? Hi, my name again is Yahaira Risti. I am an attorney. It's hard to believe I've been an attorney since 2005 with the Public Defender's Office. I do criminal defense work, adult felonies, and I absolutely do love my job. I believe it's important to bring the humanity to the justice system and preserve constitutional rights. And the best way to reach me is just at info at ebgbf.org. I'm Dennis Dawson once again. Uh, my practice now is corporate governance and real estate. And the best way to reach me is to send me an email. And my email address is attydennisswdawson at gmail.com. My name is Andrea St. Julian. I'm an appellate attorney. And I have been practicing in my own practice for more than 20 years yes. doing appeals. I do both federal and state appeals. Uh, primarily in the federal uh, uh, realm, I do federal criminal work. In the state work, I do civil. In the state appeals, I do civil appeals. Uh, you can, of course, contact me by just going on ebgba.org. That comes directly to my email box, and I look at all of those messages. So that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Uh, remind us again about the gala. Yeah, happy to do so. So it's on November 2nd, 2019. The reception starts at 5.30. Dinner program will start at 7. But we do have a nice, lively reception, so you don't want to miss it. And it will be at the Omni San Diego Hotel. You can visit our website, ebgbf.org, and go to the annual gala uh, portion of our website. Tickets on sales. We are taking sponsorships. And remember, with your help, we help law students succeed. And then we have you come back and mentor them. Well, thank you so much, all of you, for a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can like us and follow us on Facebook at at San Diego County Bar, on LinkedIn at San Diego County Bar Association, on Twitter at 
SD County Bar and Instagram at SD County Bar. With questions or comments, you can reach us at bar at sdcba.org. And with that, we've satisfied our meet and confer requirement. So we leave you with the San Diego County Bar mission statement. Inclusion and community define us. Innovation and leadership propel us. Your growth motivates us. Celebrating you and the profession is us. Thank you for joining us as we explore San Diego's diverse legal community today. We'll see you next time on Meet and Confer.